Welcome to Honestly Haunted. Happy holidays from your honestly haunted hosts. That's a lot of H's. It is. (laughs) And we're your hosts, Erin Grogan. And Abby Chowning. We are so glad you have joined us for another exciting episode of our Haunted America tour. This week, we are heading to Abby's old stomping grounds of Denver, Colorado. Yes, indeed. I actually grew up in Castle Rock, Colorado, which is just like a little south of Denver, but it's a really beautiful place, and I really miss living there. Um, And and Colorado is actually known uh, on the haunting scene for its hotels. Uh, Hello, Stanley Hotel, aka (laughs) Overlook Hotel. (laughs) And there's actually a few other haunted hotels that that Denver exclusively is known for, but we're not going to focus on those today. Uh, We're going to talk actually about Cheeseman Park. Uh, formerly known as the Mount Prospect Cemetery. So yeah, sort of another cemetery, but it's not a cemetery today. It is it is a park. Um, but it's right in the heart of downtown Denver. And I can also say I have never been there. Um, but we'll talk a little bit more about the history of the location um, because there are some things there that are obviously open to this day, including Cheeseman Park, but also the Denver Botanical Gardens. Yeah, I've, I've never been to Colorado. I really want to go to Colorado have wanted to for a long time so hopefully when things (laughs) open up again maybe so pretty maybe this will be one of our places we revisit that'd be great anyway there's a ton of history to unpack about this historical area so let's just jump right in this park's history began in 1858 at the peak of the gold rush in colorado although it wasn't technically a state yet oh 1876 thank you thank you (laughs) colorado state history (laughs) 1876. I remember that one. (laughs) Well, there you go. (laughs) General William Larimer founded the city of Denver, and he set aside 320 acres for a cemetery, which was a little ironic because the population of this territory at the time was only estimated to be 200 to 300 people. Well, guess to plan for the future, I guess. Like a grim future. Grim future. (laughs) Ultimately, he was anticipating Denver, you know, becoming quite a hub, but it's still kind of funny that at the time he was like, 260 acres should do. You will all die. And some. <laughs> and then some. <laughs> so this land was originally owned by the Arapaho Indians, but they deeded it. Deeded it is an odd word, isn't it? Deeded, deeded it. Gave deed to? Gave deeded. Deed to. <laughs> deeded it to the U.S. government via a treaty in 1860. Which, like, little sus. I kind of I kind of side-eye any type of uh, yeah. tribe deeding. Like, oh, yes, we are doing this under no duress. No <laughs> duress at all. All we oh. are fine. Yeah, uh, there's not even the fact that we found gold on this land, but it's yeah, totally no. good in the, the nature Just, of our hearts. Oh, totally. To, yeah, <laughs> shady, but <laughs> the government. The government, but the so the government then offered the land that they had gotten from the Native Americans to the city of Denver, and they sold it for a whopping two hundred dollars. Uh, so Larimer. Uh, called this area the Mount Prospect Cemetery, and several plots were designated on the hill for the exclusive use of the city's wealthy and most influential people. 
However, the rough and tough nature of the time and of the region resulted in the cemetery becoming the resting place actually primarily for outlaws, vagrants, and paupers. The first to be buried here was a gold prospector named John Stovall, who had a dispute with his brother-in-law and shot him. A people's court was assembled because there was no there were no formal courts established in the area yet. So they convicted him of murder and he was sentenced to death. They hung him on a cottonwood tree near the cemetery and his body and his brother-in-law's were dumped into a mass grave at the edge of the cemetery. Notable gambler Jack O'Neill was also gunned down at a saloon in town and was buried in the cemetery. Ultimately, the cemetery never gained the respect or status Larimer had intended for it to have, and many of Denver's elite decided to be buried elsewhere. Larimer eventually left Denver himself, and a cabinet maker named John Wally, Wally? We'll go with Wally, also happened to be an aspiring undertaker. How convenient. An aspiring undertaker. Aspiring undertaker. So he took over control of the Mount Prospect Cemetery at that time. In 1866, it was estimated that 626 persons had been buried in the cemetery. So their population did go up, so it evidently. Did. Yep, it did, you know. <laughs> Didn't good, take too good long. Job. Yeah, good job, Denver. <laughs> However, is that a good job? I don't know. I mean, boosting your population, yes. A lot of them dying, probably due to elements and smallpox. Maybe not. No doubt. However, Wally did a terrible job of keeping up with the grounds, and it fell into a state of disrepair. Headstones were toppled, graves were vandalized, and even cattle were allowed to graze on the grounds. In 1872, the federal government reclaimed the land and began to sell it off to various religious, organizational, and ethnic groups. So including the Odd Fellows, Society of Masons, Roman Catholics, Jewish, the Grand Army of the Republic and a faraway segregated section for the Chinese near the pauper's graves. Many of these sites were well-kept by the families and their, their descendants, but the majority were also terribly neglected. In 1881, a hospital, quote-unquote, for those suffering from smallpox were, was established on the south side of the cemetery. However, it became referred to as the Pest House, where smallpox victims would be quarantined along with others who had contagious diseases. The elderly and the handicapped would also be sent there. Many of these patients were simply just left there to die, and the majority were buried in mass graves. By the late 1880s, the cemetery was seldom used and had fallen into even worse disrepair. It was considered an eyesore by the citizens, so real estate developers began to lobby for the site to be converted into a park. And before long, Colorado senators persuaded the U.S. Congress to allow the old graveyard to be converted into a park. And that happened on January 25th, 1890. And they gave authorization for the property to be renamed Congress Park. Hashtag very humble U.S. Congress. <laughs> the Us Park. The Us Park. You're welcome. <laughs> Families of the deceased were given 90 days to remove the remains of their loved ones and have them transferred to other cemeteries throughout the city. There was a high concentration of graves in the Roman Catholic sections, so the mayor sold it to the archdiocese and the area became known as Mount Calvary Cemetery. The Chinese section was placed in the hands of the large population of Chinese who still lived in the Denver area. The majority of those bodies were removed and shipped back to their homeland of China. But the most gruesome history of the cemetery was yet to come. 
Since so many of those buried were criminals, vagrants, and paupers, the majority of those bodies were never claimed, so the city of Denver hired an undertaker by the name of E.P. McGovern to remove the remaining bodies in 1893. That name, with a name like that, you've got to be an undertaker. How could you do anything else? Yeah. E.P. McGovern. But anyway, <laughs> McGovern was instructed to provide a fresh box or a casket for each body to transfer it to the Riverside Cemetery on the other side of Denver at the cost of $1.90 each. However, McGovern saw this as a money-making venture, and he decided to use child-sized caskets that were only one foot by three and a half feet long. So, as you might guess where this is going, McGovern would hack up bodies, and sometimes use as many as three caskets for one body. In his haste, body parts and bones were literally strewn everywhere. The scene was so chaotic that it began to draw the eyes of souvenir hunters, and many graves were ransacked and looted. Yeah, not quite uh, grave robbers, because it's like, what do you, I mean, because you think about these people were probably buried with whatever they just had on yeah. them, and but also you think of like souvenir hunters might not just take like things, like they would take bones body and body parts, parts which you yeah. laugh. A local newspaper, the Denver Republican, actually caught wind of the story, and its headline on March 19th, 1893 read, The Work of Ghouls. The article described in detail what McGovern was doing, and it read, in quote, The line of desecrated graves at the southern boundary of the cemetery sickened and horrified everybody by the appearance they presented. Around their edges were piled broken coffins, rent and tattered shrouds, and fragments of clothing that had been torn from the dead bodies. All were trampled into the ground by the footsteps of the grave diggers like rejected junk. That's uh, it's poetic. It's quite a picture. The health commissioner immediately began an investigation, and the mayor quickly terminated his contract with McGovern. Afterwards, the city simply built a wooden fence around the cemetery, leaving it still in shambles with graves and coffins still exposed to the elements. And in 1894, grading and leveling finally began in preparation for the park, and many of the graves were filled in with shrubs and trees. And by 1907, the park's construction was completed, but it was likely that thousands of bodies were never removed. And in 1909, Gladys Cheeseman donated a marble pavilion in memory of her father, who was a Denver pioneer, Walter Cheeseman, and the park was renamed at the time to honor him. And that pavilion is actually still standing in the park to this day. In 1950, the Catholic Church moved the remains of those in the Mount Calvary Cemetery and sold the land back to the city. The area is now home to the Denver Botanical Gardens. Ugh don't know how I feel about that. The Denver Botanical Gardens are actually really beautiful. And so I, in hindsight, I never knew that that was actually, because I've been, I just didn't know that that was the site of once a Roman Catholic I mean, cemetery. I mean, remains tend to make things grow. But they said that they took all the, they removed all the bodies, at least that they know of. I mean, they probably had already fertilized the ground. Maybe. Oy. Well, well, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, as they say. <laughs> But today, it's actually estimated that 2,000 bodies likely remain in Cheeseman Park. So it's no surprise that there are a lot of reports of spirits being seen on the grounds. In fact, the first documented reports of paranormal activity were in 1893, when a grave digger named Jim Astor was working late one evening and felt a pair of arms rest around his shoulders. When he turned to look, no one was there, and he ran from the graveyard and would not return to work for weeks. Fair. Yeah. 
Today, there are residential areas that surround the park. Those living in the area have experienced spirits knocking on their windows and doors, even jiggling doorknobs and peering through windows. Reports often claim that the spirits look sad or even confused. Many reports of moaning can be heard from the grounds, especially during the very early morning when fog is common. Can you imagine being on a run in the early morning and freaking start hearing moaning all around you? Yeah, um, as if I would need a reason to not run in any I was like, way. I can't fun. imagine really running yeah, early in the morning. I anyway. mean, there's there's a couple of things <laughs> that I can't imagine, but but imagine. if we ignore all of those. <laughs> Say we were running early in the morning. <laughs> Say I was the type of person who would run early in the morning. Then, yes. Moaning. The moaning would the definitely mist. turn me off oh, to gosh. running. gosh. No, thank you. On all fronts, no, thank you. <laughs> Just all of it. All of it's bad. <laughs> Many visitors to the park have felt overwhelming feelings of unexplainable sadness or dread. Many have claimed to hear the sound of hundreds of whispering voices. Many police officers have investigated the grounds where children have been seen playing in the park at night, but mysteriously disappear when the officer gets too close. On moonlit nights, visitors to the park have claimed to see old gravestones emerge from the ground. And this part actually might be the creepiest to me, is that others have claimed after lying down on the grass in the park, they have found it difficult to sit up, almost if unforeseen forces are holding them down to the ground. Yeah. Can you? Oh, I agree. That is the scariest. Can you just like, I mean, like enjoying like a nice day at a park and then all of a sudden you, you can't, can't get sit up. up. Like, ugh. Also, reports of shadows and misty figures wandering through the trees is very common, but most of these reports claim that the figures appear confused, like they don't know where they're going. Which isn't really surprising. I mean, you think about all of, you know, they're either, they were not claimed, so they didn't have families, they didn't probably even come from the area originally, since like, I mean, with the gold rush, people came from all over the place, so they, you know, probably never actually found, like, They probably didn't anticipate dying there, there. and then being just kind of tossed into mass graves, and... Kind of forgotten, so they don't really know where they are and where they're going, but, so, you know, like, like it's been for the last couple of months, I think... Just a couple of months. It's been since March. We haven't been yeah. able to go to a location since March. But there is a, a unique story that we found in our research um, of Cheeseman Park. So since we can't go, we found kind of a testimony by someone who has been to the park. And we're going to share what they discovered. So uh, this is a story uh, by Lee Cook that they, uh, I'm not sure if it's a he or she, but they, in their experience visiting Cheeseman Park. So... Lee says, I live and work only blocks from the infamous Cheeseman Park in Denver, Colorado, and I've heard stories of its haunted nature, but never thought much of it until lately. One night, my friend Ruben and I decided to take a walk through the park. We walked across the South Lawn to the pavilion, where there were several skateboarders making jumps on the side of the old fountain and other people walking about. We talked about work and other mundane things as we strolled away from the old pavilion to the rose gardens, where there is a natural maze of huge rose bushes. Just then, I heard a rattling chain behind us and said, Reuben, can you hear that? And as I looked around, he replied that he hadn't heard anything. There, I heard it again, I exclaimed as I heard the chain jingling. Still, he didn't hear it and we could see no one. Continuing our stroll, we moved toward the middle of the big field where it was more open and sat down in the cool grass to smoke a cigarette. Moments later, we were surprised when we saw a kid riding a bicycle with a chain dangling from his pocket. 
turning circles around a thin, pale man dressed in what appeared to be a shredded hospital gown covered with blood. The pair moved toward us, to say at least we were petrified. As they grew closer, I could see that the pale man's jaw was broken. He then approached us and asked for a smoke. As I handed him a cigarette, he said, Did you see them? Dumbfounded, I replied, Who? The ones who did this to me. They stabbed me 15 times, the man said, and then lifted his sleeves to show us what looked like very deep stab wounds in his arms, back, and chest. Horrified, I said, shouldn't you be in the hospital? Shaking his head, he answered, they let me go because I didn't have any money. He warned us to watch out for them and stated several times, I'm going to get them. When I reassured him that if we saw them, we would let him know. The pair casually moved away from us into the darkness. When we could see them no longer, Reuben and I quickly ran toward my apartment as fast as we could, never looking back. Afterward, we talked about what we saw for a long time, both confident that we had seen and talked to the walking dead. So if you ever go to Cheeseman Park at night, know that you just might be questioned by a ghost in a hospital gown who continues to look for his killers. I have dubbed the ghost Slackjaw. Ooh, yeah. that is so creepy. <laughs> Chills. Yeah. But just like, I guess, you you know, we I, when I think of like a paranormal experience, like you think of just seeing something, but them not necessarily engaging with you an awful lot. Yeah, but, actually speaking to the ghost. Yeah. Or asking something of you. Like yeah. he asked him for a cigarette. You know, I, I just can't. I, nah, I can't. <laughs> I know. I, I don't even know how to process that I feel like I feel like we've done a lot of stories and we've I'm I'm trying to think of the closest that we've come to talking about like actual engagement and what comes to mind is that uh that idea that story of the house where the they saw like the people having dinner the family having dinner and they like looked up and saw and saw the person in the present day and was like and were confused yeah like Like, are you yeah like almost like a slip in time. Right. Um but that's and that's and that's like making me think was this some sort of slip in time when the hospital was there and there was this that, Yeah, that creepy hospital that obviously wasn't hospital really quote unquote that like did not take house. care of people. Yeah, yeah. There, there was no apparently no doctors or nurses. They just it was a, a space where people could go to die and their oh bodies would gosh. be disposed of. So uh, this is a place that I hope one day we actually get to go visit because yeah. I I just can't think of anything similar enough like to a park like you think like I know like Gettysburg is essentially a park now yeah. and I don't really know there's obviously lots of people buried on site um, but then there's like the battleground itself and so I think of of kind of like it's, it feels like that like it's like lots of people died here but we really don't know where their remains are in and it could be anywhere and it could be anywhere yeah and so you don't know if they're buried beneath your feet or if all the bodies you know were thoughtfully carefully removed and placed they and in gettysburg a lot of them were so this is totally different but to think two thousand bodies just casually under the ground ground. somewhere there and i think i saw something when they i don't know if it was when they were putting in um the botanical gardens or something but they were drilling or digging for to for pipe work and water lines and stuff like that and they find bodies mm. like routinely when they're doing maintenance you think if they ever have to uproot trees or relocate shrubs it's like they find them yeah. and i, I kind of wonder today because we hear more about like with um uh like ancestry detection and stuff like that like if you can identify bodies and that's been happening kind of more and more frequently that they've been able to identify previously a long time deceased people right. and identify maybe family. Where but they what's might come so from. sad about that is that is that 
so many of those people probably also died without family or yeah. without really having many people in the world. Or, and, yeah. yeah. No one to claim, claim yeah. them anyway. But I think it would be, you know, I would say like, say I had an ancestor who went on up there for the gold rush, but right. I have, we have no idea who they are because I mean, my family obviously back and back and back didn't keep track or didn't know or didn't know what happened to them. Yeah. Like all they, I, mean, I think of how many families just like, oh, my son left to go pursue his fate in the gold rush in Colorado. And we never heard from him again. Yeah. And it's like, no idea what happened to him. And it's like, I wonder how many stories like that are those people have who ended in that park and are in that park. Yeah. So I think that's what, I think that's probably why, a reason why Aaron and I love these kind of stories so much is because they're so... Think of all of the lives and all the events that happened. All of the history. The history. And culminated in, obviously, sadly, in death, but that their stories do sort of carry on an interesting moment in history. Yeah, and one of the most, one of the most fascinating haunted part stories of this, to me, is the fact that people at night sometimes see gravestones pop up and it's like it's like all of these ideas of of the the ghosts looking sad and confused and lost and the idea of the stones popping up it's like the the spirits are calling out to be named and to to have their story and to have a place and to know where they are and and they're just lost yeah so they're like yearning for that And I wonder if they ever did, like, I mean, at some point you'd think that they would do, like, an archaeological survey of the right. site. It's because they, they must have done something to, to estimate that 2,000 bodies likely yeah. are still there. So I wonder if attempts eventually might be made. Cause well, I know they have tools to, to basically, like, put, and I don't know exactly how it works, but they have tools that they use in, like, crime scenes where they can put something over the ground and and see if there's stuff buried. Yeah, yeah. If they can find, if there's like, oh, there are things under here. And it's right. not always necessarily bones or a person, but it's like they can tell, like, this is a place that if we dig, we will find something. Like Earth had been disrupted. Yeah. Because that, well, that was recently in a TV show on Netflix. Which yeah, one was it? It was, they it was Unsolved Mysteries. That's right. Yeah, because they, they were trying to find where, because they, they believed that, um, it was, the sister believed that her sister's body was buried on, on the property. The property. Yeah, I remember that. And so they had done, um, they had done that and they found a spot that was, that was, it said there's, there is something here, like it is disturbed ground, but mm-hmm. they, they ultimately didn't find, find the body. body. But then they find like ashes or something, or they found like burnt pieces. Yes, there, there was like a whole area that was, that, that there was a fire or something, some like a bonfire there or something. Interesting. Um, I, also, I also think, it obviously, it was very dated, but in the original Jurassic Park, remember when they fire something into the ground and like then they go and they can see like the raptor buried underneath the <laughs> ground? <laughs> That's what I... Because he's like, they're both looking at it and they're talking about it and pointing at it on the screen, but he like shoots like a camera or something into yeah. the ground and I don't. I don't know if technology has come that far. No, not. I mean, <laughs> it was like what? What year did Jurassic Park come in? Like ninety seven? I don't Probably, know. Yeah. So hopefully, <laughs> since then, something. But we digress. <laughs> but yeah. But that that to me is is I think kind of heartbreaking. Yeah. The idea that these spirits are lost. And I think of 
the fact that a paranormal report was made as early as the 1890s. So basically right after all the graves were disrupted, you know, yeah. it sounds like they, it laid pretty quiet for a while. Cause it was, it was in constant disrepair. Like nobody actually worked on it, tried to upkeep it. And it when seems people like. did, did work there, they literally hacksawed bodies. Yeah. Desecrated bodies in graves. And then the city basically, like, didn't know what to do with it, so built a fence and just left everything open, open. and exposed. Which, you know, thinking about, obviously, people then still probably went and disturbed it all the time. A fence isn't going to stop people. No, a wooden fence. And, and I'm sure there were people going in and doing all sorts of things, even if they were just, like, interested morbidly in it, you know? Yeah. Open graves and things like that, and it was... Like, yeah. as much as I- I'm obviously into this sort of thing because of, of hello, <laughs> this is our podcast, but, like, I I don't understand the impulse to disturb a human grave. Like, I don't... Yeah. Like, I get, like, hey, British Museum, going to check out mummies and tombs and stuff like that. Like, not sure how I feel about those artifacts getting, like, removed specifically from right. where they were found. But, like, I get it's, like, preserving a moment in time and showing the process, blah, 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 blah. But it's, like, I don't understand the instinct to go take something from someone who is dead. Me either, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we are definitely not grave robbers. (laughs) (laughs) We're just putting that out there, not just closing that, so. (laughs) That sounds like something that grave robbers would say. (laughs) (laughs) They caught us. It finally caught up to us. But no, I, yeah, I, I don't get it either. But at the same time, thinking about it, I'm also lucky enough to not be in a position where I live in a world where stealing something off of a body can help me get food on the table. That's also true. The desperation um, involved there. And, and I think, I think we should take that into account when we think about the fact that like this grave had outlaws and criminals and mm-hmm. people down on their luck and paupers and people who were who who were you know um what's the word i'm looking for discriminated against yeah people who were discriminated against and and things like that so so clearly you know even though <laughs> i ideally when they made this they were like this is going to be a graveyard for the elite which i also have feelings about like there's only 300 people who live here who's gonna be the elite um but clearly that didn't happen and so the people around the area were also you know the the types of people who were ending up buried there so there was a lot of a lot of people who were desperate i think and and i think that all adds to the feeling of being lost and and probably, I mean, violated a little yeah. bit. Um, yeah. So also going back to Jim Astor, who was the grave digger who reported that instance of having the arms go around his shoulder, he even admitted that he had been robbing graves as well in his oh. in his uh, actual work of grave digging. Really? Um, and so I think that was also like he, he had shared that he regretted obviously what he had had done. And which I think is is interesting, um, yeah. and that, that, especially that he would fess up to it. That he he admitted. he was so scared that he fessed up. Yeah, and that's why he didn't come back to work for weeks because he was like, I probably should make amends and maybe return some things oh from whence gosh. they came. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, lots in, and I also think of like 
we talk about like the wild west and yeah and, and you know, obviously we don't always consider colorado part of that but i mean part of the gold rush it was it was a pioneered location at one point in, in a very typically unforgiving terrain like living yeah you know, on, denver is not isn't super known for like crazy crazy weather but it's near enough to the rocky mountains and the foothills that it does get weather for sure <laughs> um and i imagine you know i say like oh it's not the terrain's not so bad as i like lived in the suburbs and it was like it's not so bad and it's snow plows and all that stuff to like help you get to school every day i imagine 200 years ago probably a little unforgiving so i can obviously um give credit where credit was due that that was a tough place to make it yeah absolutely and i think i think in general the there's always hardship that goes along with those stories of pioneering and Beyond that, something we didn't eat, we kind of glossed over was the fact that the land also once belonged to Native Americans, too. And right. so there's, even though we haven't even gone into it, there's the trauma <laughs> that is associated with the displacement of Native Americans in our history for these sorts of things as well. And so it just kind of sounds like, you know, you go there now and you're like, oh, pretty park and botanical gardens. How lovely. White marble pavilion. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, it's it's built on trauma and yeah. a lot of loss and a lot of despair. Yeah. I think I, I always just come back to like the idea that the ghosts are just confused and like, yeah, like which is so sad. A terrifying to be like a ghost is peering into my window, but to to obviously like that's scary. But yes. to take notice and like they looked sad, like they weren't there right. to traumatize or scare me. They looked confused and sad, and it's like yeah. to take special note of that kind of gives me chills. Like that they, I agree that it's just very tragic and sad. So. I mean, in in my opinion, I think we already know where we're going with this for our verdict. Honestly, Honestly haunted. haunted. Hecka, hecka haunted. Hecka haunted. Hecka haunted. <laughs> yeah, I I mean, I don't understand how it could not be. Yeah, it's for me. It's the lost souls. It's the it's the laying on the grass and sometimes feeling a weight and a pull down to not be able to get up. It's the fact that people saw gravestones pop up. That police have been called to investigate reports of activity at night and when they get close enough it's it gone. It disappears before them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I just don't understand how it, it could not be and I really want to go visit. I again. do too. You know, I, I think we have a pretty long list of places that we want to go once the world is in a place where we can go visit things again, but this one for me might have kind of been pushed up On closer the to the top of the list. Well, of course, in visiting like Colorado, like visiting Denver would be awesome. Yeah. So lots of other things to do in addition to exactly. visiting Chiefton Park. You know, something that might be fun for us to do in a world when we can go back to places is like visit places that we've talked about yeah and a new place in the same location yes and like do kind of like a, yeah. a victory lap <laughs> so hey hey guys maybe maybe that's what we'll be able to do at some point one of these days when the world is less crazy and it's safe to do so hey the vaccine's coming out it's so true maybe it's closer than we think but. so stay stay healthy and safe people stay tuned so <laughs> Thank you guys again for listening to another one of our episodes. We're really enjoying kind of checking out a spot in each state, uh, places that we've also like lived before that we've sort of been familiar with, but not, you know, not ha 
hadn't have the full history, which in this one particular, tons of history here. So that we've enjoyed kind of to dig a little deeper on that. Also, as a little bit of a Christmas surprise, we have made some changes to our Patreon. So if you want more content from us, now is the time to do so. We have changed our Patreon pricing. And so now if you would like to support us, you can do so and get access to our whole slew of conspiracy episodes in our lowest tier, our haunties tier, for only $3 a month. And you'll get access to all of our past episodes and a new episode every single month. If you'd like to support us even more and get extra content, you will get all of that, plus our Ghostly Gabs with Erin and Abs episodes, which are really fun, talking about some scary movies. And so you'll get all of that for only $5 a month. And if you want to go even a step further... Those were our best booze. uh, Yes, and those are our best booze. If you want to go a step further, you can become a very important Sasquatch. Sasquatch. For only $7 a month, you will get access to all of those things we've just listed. Plus, you'll get some uh, stickers sent from us with a special note. You'll have access to other things as we um, release them. And you'll also get a shout out from us on the show. So this is all in in preparation because we're coming up on our one year anniversary of our podcast. And we're so thankful for all the support, obviously, that we've gotten. And we're we're just overwhelmed by the, the response that we've had and hearing from you guys. We love getting messages from you, especially if uh, we talk about something in one of our episodes that we might not be very well versed on. And, and you guys have chimed back with like, ooh, let me tell you all about this. And it's been amazing. It's been so cool to hear from you guys and your exp- expertise and various things that you do. Um, so we thank you for that. And so in, in to kick off the new year, we wanted to thank you guys by changing and updating our, our Patreon. And our goal, you know, ultimately with Patreon is to keep adding even more content over the next year. And really fill it up with awesome stuff for you guys to engage in with us and with that. And if you want to do any of that, if you want to see what we have on our Patreon, go to patreon.com slash honestly haunted. Check out, uh, so we'll be posting some pictures from today's episode, Cheeseman Park in Denver. So check out our Instagram and Facebook for that. At honestly haunted. And also be sure to check out our website. Our episodes are listed there and more information about us and the podcast as well www.honestlyhaunted.com. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you again, guys. We'll see you in two weeks in the Happy New Year with more Honestly Haunted. Little round stuff. <laughs>